What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm hosting the episode today. And I'm joined by Ryan Rail, who is a pitcher at St. Cloud State University up in Minnesota, originally from uh, the Milwaukee area, played at West Bend High School, um, grew up here, played baseball around here. Um, so so local kid that's that's spending a little bit of time over in uh, Minnesota, but I wanted to get together with Ryan to chat a little bit about his experience in high school baseball, recruiting, going and transitioning to playing in college. And then um, Ryan actually dealt with several injuries, including going through Tommy John. So just to chat a little bit about the recovery process and and what it was like to to go through a major major injury and surgery and, and recovery uh, in the middle of his senior season. So Ryan, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Well, let's just... Uh, dive in. And for those that um, aren't familiar with you or kind of your story, I'd love to love to hear. I, I kind of always talk about it with our pro guys, like everyone talks about their baseball journey. And I think you've had an interesting one. I, I was thinking back, I think I met you when you were in eighth grade. Uh, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think it was eighth grade. Um, I think I had a hip avulsion in eighth grade, I think is what it was when I was running like a 60 at a tryout. So it kind of all started way back then in eighth grade, like you said. Um, and that's kind of when the injury train started and that's kind of when I met Mike and got in with kinetic a lot. Um, but yeah, it all started back in eighth grade. I was trying out for club baseball teams, you know, all the, all the big ones in Southeastern Wisconsin. Um, because my ultimate goal is to play college baseball at that time. And obviously still is today. Um, but yeah, so I ended up going and playing for sticks Academy, uh, until my sophomore year of high school. Um, and then I made the switch to Impact Sports Academy up in Green Bay, where I finished out my junior season. Um, you know, along the travel baseball journey for me, it was it was a little bit of a rocky rocky road, just injury wise for me. Um, and obviously, Connect was there to help me throughout the whole the whole thing. And then uh, leading into my senior year, I had to undergo Tommy John surgery uh, in the spring of my senior year, which took me out for my senior season. Um, but thankfully, before then, I was already committed to play Division Two baseball up here in St. Cloud, Minnesota, at St. Cloud State. Uh, and that's where I'm at today. So it's been, it's been a little bit of a rocky road injury wise, but, but thankful to be here. Yeah. Well, that's uh, I think that's a nice little overview and we'll definitely dive into some more of the injuries, but I am, uh, I'm curious your perspective now, like looking back at it, 2020 hindsight, I just remember kind of the whole time we worked together, always, uh, talking and, and it's still a conversation I have a lot of just kind of the, the, um, struggles for players to manage the demands of high school and club baseball mm-hmm. obviously they are theoretically different seasons but your role is sometimes different um, there's club practices there's high school baseball open gyms there's there's like this sort of conflict um, from, yep. from my perspective sometimes but i'd love to hear what you felt like kind of managing that and how you went about balancing your goals, be playing college baseball with your desire to play for your high school and, and compete with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a big thing that that competition or the the conflict between each of the coaches that you're playing for, it can definitely be a challenge at times. Uh, the biggest thing that, that I saw is, you know, it's hard to balance the open gyms and the practices with your clubs, club stuff in the off season, especially. Um, you know, in my case, I always had open gym Sunday morning. It was like seven to nine a.m. And then 
I'd have club practice one to four, one to five, something along those lines. Um, so just kind of learning how to, how to manage your time in that way and always make sure you're ready to go. And not to mention, you know, one coach, let's say in high school baseball, your coach might want you to be, you know, a hitter and a pitcher in club. You might just want to be a pitcher. And then you got to look at your overall goals and see where you want to go. Um, and sometimes that can, that can cause a lot of conflict with primarily in my case, it was with the high school coach itself, just because they want you to be able to do everything for them. Um, but if that doesn't necessarily align with your long-term goals, you know, you might find yourself in a little bit of an argument in that sense. Um, you know, that conflict is, is coming up quite a bit. And then same thing in like the fall, you know, we have weightlifting sometimes for high school and then we have, you know, late night practices for clubs. So it's learning how to manage your time, learning how to, uh, you know, manage your body, make sure you're ready to go at all times. And then really just being able to speak up for yourself. Like, you know, if your ultimate goals play at a high level in college, then maybe high school baseball isn't necessarily your top priority over your club team, just to make sure that your body is ready to go well-prepared stuff along those lines. Um, but there's definitely that conflict, like you mentioned, just between, between the club and the high school itself. So just being able to speak up for yourself and understand where you really want to go with it is probably the most important thing in my eyes. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I think that it was, uh, um, it's, it's something that definitely hasn't gone away since you have uh, been gone for a couple of years yeah. here and, and kind of out of that scene. Uh, it feels like every week we're, we're having the same conversations with kids that want to do throwing programs from somewhere and then they've got their club team and then they've got their high school open gyms and they're, you know, they're lifting weights at a private facility and the high yep. school coach wants them in the weight room. And it's just, I think that what I keep hitting on, cause I, I don't think there is a right answer, but I think it's that you kind of said it a couple of times, like communication, like being able to uh, express your goals to the coaches, the people that you're working with, and like ultimately mm -hmm. kind of standing up for yourself and finding what's, what's in your best interest being like, yes, you, it, it is a team sport. You want to be a team player, but there are certain times a year that you have to be a little bit selfish and like decide what's best for you and your future and your career mm -hmm. and, and to help you get to your goals. So. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said about the, the weightlifting program, that's a big one too. Now with places like BRX and all those, all those weight training facilities around Milwaukee, especially like you just got to understand what, what is going to help you achieve your goals and what's going to be the driving factor behind that. Um, so in my case, you know, I didn't always necessarily lift with my high school team in the off season because I chose to go down to BRX performance in Milwaukee. Um, and I think that was, you know, a crucial part of me being able to set myself apart from some of the other players on my high school team and make it to the next level simply because of that dedication to, you know, not necessarily being totally selfish. Cause like you said, you still want to be that team guy in your high school team. Um, but really understanding where you want to go and what's the, what's the vehicle that's best going to get you there. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, um, I just think it's crucial. I think it kind of leads me into my next question and, and, uh, we can definitely leave the, the club names anonymous. Uh, we can talk about yep. where you ultimately ended up, but mm -hmm. you're one of the, the few guys that I know of that kind of made a, uh, semi-difficult decision to like switch clubs in the middle of your high school career. I see a lot of players that, you know, might start with one club as a fourth grader or something like that. Um, and then, you know, switch yeah. when they're done with middle school and into high school, but you kind of made the decision to change clubs in the middle of your high school career. Um, I guess what went into that and kind of, again, just how, how did you go about making that, um, that decision and ultimately finding the best fit for you and your goals? Yeah, absolutely. That definitely wasn't an easy decision when you're going through it. Um, not only just because of the switch itself, but, you know, after 
being at a certain club for X amount of years, like it's, it's a hard, hard switch to jump into a totally new group of guys. Um, but what the kind of the driving factor behind that for me was, um, you know, I took a look at my goals, you know, I saw myself, I wasn't going to be this big, you know, SEC guy. I wasn't going, I wasn't going to be at this big division one school. You know, I found myself wanting, leaning towards, you know, a mid-major school or high level D2 where I ended up. Um, and I understood that at the club that I was at and the teams that I was on, I was kind of bouncing between the A and the B team. You know, I wasn't one of the top guys at that club and I understood that at the time. Um, so I wanted to play for a club that necessarily wasn't, wasn't bad, but I also wanted to play somewhere that, you know, was going to give me the opportunity to play on the top level team and still go to the tournaments that the the top team at the other club was going to. Um, but I just saw it as a place where, you know, I'd be on the top team. Um, I'd be going to all the big level tournaments still. We might not have been, you know, as solid of a group as some of the other teams there, but at the same time, it gave me the opportunity to get in front of the coaches that I need to be in front of. Um, and ultimately led me to, to come into St. Cloud state. Um, and I'd say that's kind of the driving factor behind that. Um, and same thing with the people that are running the clubs, you want to make sure that you want to be one of their top guys. So then, you know, they focus on everybody, but sometimes obviously the guys that are going to be those big sec guys or the big D one guys, they get a little bit more attention when it comes to recruiting and kind of pumping your name out there. So I wanted to make sure that I was at a place that that was able to do that for me and do it well. And the club that I settled on ultimately did that for me. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think it's really good advice and it's just, uh, hopefully it opens up people's eyes to, you know, being realistic with what they want to get out of it. Or, or sometimes it's not even that there's anything wrong or one's better. It might just be a better fit. Maybe there's a pitching yeah. coach there that you really really connect with like that they see something in your mechanics that they really think like they can help you with and that that really clicks i remember you know, yep. worked with somebody up there coming back from one of the injuries and and just the way that yep. they were coaching you really seemed like it fit well with your personality and stuff and and sometimes it's just an individual thing and it's not a knock on anyone else mm -hmm. it's just like a better fit for you exactly yeah and like you said you know the coaching aspect of it there are so many clubs especially in the wisconsin area like if, if you're not feeling like you're at the right place for you, like it's not a bad, bad thing to explore all the other options in the area, just simply because there's so many of them. Like you might as well just go out there and see what the other ones have to offer. And, you know, I wasn't really totally all for switching clubs in the beginning. Uh, but when I went out and kind of met with some coaches at some other places, you know, you realize that maybe this isn't such a bad idea for me. Um, and like you said, that, that connection between your coaches is, is important. Um, and that's kind of what I found at, at my new club. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. Um, let's shift gears a little bit because I think this builds into it nicely. But um, what was the college recruiting process like for you? Uh, again, you kind of mentioned you you weren't, I think you were a top 25 recruit in the state. So, I mean, it's not like you were a, you weren't a slouch. I know you're not going to teach your yeah. horn too much, but um, it's not like you were a no-name player. But yeah, you weren't, you weren't this guy that mm -hmm. probably had a hundred different offers from from yeah. every school in the world. Um, so what was your recruiting experience like? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of took the recruiting process into my own hands a lot. Um, I have a spreadsheet somewhere buried in my Google Drive. I think I have like 120 plus, 150 plus schools that I emailed. Um, it was always preached to me, like if you want to play at the next level, like the coaches can help you get there. But at the end of the day, you got you to put the time and the work into promoting yourself as well. Um, so I was big on pumping out emails. Um, I had it down to like a science. I feel like I was just 
you know, writing emails all day. I'd be in class, emailing schools, like putting my name out there as much as possible. And sure, some of those schools I had literally no chance of going to, but at the same time, it's it's getting the reps in and put putting your name out there as much as possible. Um, the whole process in general was a, a little kind of interesting for me because I started out my freshman, sophomore year, didn't really have much interest. Um, and then I think it was my early junior year, maybe sophomore summer, kind of started to pick up a little bit. I was probably in the mid eights and then junior year I was upper eights. So I was kind of picking up a lot of mid-major interest at the D1 level and then a ton of D2 and D3 schools in the area. Um, and then when I had TJ or not even when I had TJ, I was already committed at that point actually, but it was probably some other injury. I can't even remember what it was. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I had a hip avulsion my, my junior year high school in the yeah. spring. And at that point, like I was dead set, like I was going to go play division one baseball. I, I was talking to tons of mid-major schools in the Midwest. Like I was super confident in myself. Um, and then when I had that hip avulsion fracture, that kind of shut all those options down for me. And it was, it was really a tough time for me because obviously every kid's goal is to go division one and play that play baseball at the highest level possible. Um, so it really took a lot of reflecting on my part. Like, you know, just because I wasn't getting that interest anymore after I was injured, doesn't mean that this is the end of the road for me. I already had quite a few division two schools looking at me. Um, I think I had two offers at the time from division two schools. So I really sat down, took my time to think about it. Um, and realized that just because the big time or not being big time, these mid-major schools, uh, aren't necessarily interested anymore. doesn't mean that this is the end of the road for me. So I went into that summer. I had an okay summer. Wasn't super great. Wasn't terrible. Um, but then in that fall, I ultimately ended up committing to St. Cloud State um, here in Minnesota. That was one of two or three official offers I believe I had. Um, but I had, I think the other option was Winona State for me and then Minot State up in North Dakota. Um, so all schools in my conference. But like I said, I had a ton of D2 interest, ton of D3 interest, um, but ultimately ended up going to St. Cloud State. Yeah, I think it's... I think that's a really good story and it's just, it's good for people to hear. And there's a couple of things that I want to kind of pull out and highlight because I think people get obsessed too much sometimes with the, the name on the front of the jersey and like mm -hmm. how big a school they can commit to. And it's something Absolutely. that I've talked to several kids about of like, I think there gets to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like the big schools get the best talent. So yes, they pump out a good amount of pro players and and have success that way but there's only a select few of those schools that really take players and get them better over four years there's more mm -hmm. in my opinion some of the big programs are they get the best players they put them in the best positions they win games those guys continue to be the best players because they were the best players showing up which if yeah. you are one of those guys that's you're kind of at your peak in high school you're throwing mid-90s like you're you're essentially mm -hmm. already draftable. You just need to get older and more experienced. Like those might be great fits for you. But if you are someone that even if you have the opportunity to go to those places, but you, you aren't fully developed yet, mm -hmm. like, you really need to look hard at does that school get people better over the course of four years or do they just weed kids out? And it's like yeah. after the freshman tra class transfers out and they bring in transfers that had success elsewhere um, because I think there's more schools that even the JUCOs, uh, like Madison College in our area is a great example. Um, schools like St. Cloud State, other places that take kids that are still improving and developing, mm -hmm. work with them over the course of four years. And then those kids end up being, you know, eventually drafted or they end up transferring out into a bigger school once they have two or three more years of seasoning. 
Yeah, that's a great, great point. And kind of in hindsight, when you look back at my journey and the schools that I was talking to, those mid-major schools, um, you know, it makes you realize like maybe like those weren't really the best fits for me simply because at the time I was an upper eights guy, like I wasn't getting, you know, I wasn't going to be their top guy going in. And like you said, you know, maybe I would have got weeded out there or X, Y, Z could have happened. Um, but at the end of the day, I really think that everyone ends up where they belong in the long run. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I ended up here at St. Cloud State. I think it's a great fit for me personally. Um, I had the opportunity to two-way here until I got TJ. Um, but there's just a lot more opportunities that are open up, opened up at lower levels of college baseball. And like you show up to division two schools like St. Cloud State and they're still like dudes. Like we had a guy last year, he transferred out, uh, to Kansas and he's like a 95, 97 guy, uh, our center fielders, the starting center fielder for Kansas now, um, and we have, you know, freshmen coming in that are throwing 90, 92, like there's still good talent at every level of college baseball. I don't care if you play D1 or D3 or even Juco baseball, like there are probably a lot of D3 teams out there that could compete with mid-major or even big time D1 schools. Same thing goes for Juco and D2, like, like there's dudes everywhere. And at the end of the day, it's still college baseball. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that until you really get there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's just fantastic advice. And it's like, you know, your development doesn't stop. I, I forget, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday in here and was just like, you know, you're a junior right now. And I know you want to throw 95 this year, but like you're already throwing 88. What if you just threw 91 this year? And then you went to college and you threw 93 the next year. And then your sophomore year, you threw 95. And then 90, like you just keep yeah. getting better. It's not like, oh, I'm done with high school. I'm, develop like you can exactly. keep growing over time so yeah no i think that's um that's awesome so let's talk that's kind of your recruiting experience so now let's talk a little bit about college baseball um mm -hmm. what was the biggest transition for and and obviously you've had a little bit of a different transition just because you did red shirt last year kind of coming back from from tommy john but overall yep. what's been your biggest transition from high school baseball to just the college baseball life yeah absolutely so i'd say the biggest transition is not necessarily, you know, what you're doing in the weight room or on the field. It's more so just the workload overall. Um, you know, in high school baseball, even when you're playing for a club team, you're maybe practicing one to two times a week just for long periods of time. Uh, but when you get to college, it's pretty much five days a week, five, six days a week. You know, every day you're, you're out on the field doing something or you're in the weight room getting after it. Like there's not a whole lot of time where you don't have anything going on compared to, you know, high school baseball, you have an entire off season. Like, we get to school August 18th and we are practicing all the way through and playing through the end of the year. Like there's not a whole lot of days where it's like, Oh, I don't have anything to do today. Cause there's always something to do. Um, and then to go along with that, I would just say like the team culture aspect is a lot different in college. You know, you show up and there's guys that have been here for three, four. I mean, last year there's guys that were there for like six years. <laughs> like I was playing with like 24 year old dudes. <laughs> um, but I feel like at the college level that that team camaraderie, the the culture is just a lot stronger. Um, I don't even know really why that would be. I think it's just because we spend so much time together, um, you know, on and off the field. Um, and just, we just all really get to know each other and, and you know, you show up, you're probably going to be really nervous, but then there's 40 best friends that you have on the other side. So. That's awesome. That's, yep. I think that's just a sign too, that you, like you said earlier, you ended up in a good spot. Like it's more than just about, the level that you're at again it's the coaches it's the teammates it's, you actually have to go to school and attend this university and yeah. move to this city and there's so much more than just like i committed to a mid-major d1 program that's x mm -hmm. um, yeah so 
that's great. I think it just showed you ended up at a really good spot. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any kind of recommendations for, let's say, you know, we're kind of in February here, high schoolers have a couple more months of school left. And then the current high schoolers that are going to be freshmen next year will be getting ready to kind of go mm-hmm. to usually have a month of summer baseball that they go to the school and, and then move in next fall. So do you have any, any recommendations for a current batch of high schoolers that's going to go play college baseball to just prepare themselves? I would say just go in there with confidence. Um, you know, you're going to show up. Um, I'd say most freshmen are pretty nervous, you know, their first few days on campus here, just cause you're not really, you know, you obviously have a feel for what the school is going to be like, but you're not totally sure on what the day to day is going to look like. Um, just go in there with confidence, just try and be yourself. There's no point in trying to go out there and prove something that you can't do. Um, because at the end of the day, like in my case too, like, especially if you're a pitcher and you go out there and, you know, you're an upper eights guy, but you're, you really are just trying to punch numbers. Like it's just not going to work out for you. Um, just go out there, do what you did to get recruited there. And at the end of the day, it'll all work out. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to be had. And at the end of the day, you know, trying to push too hard sometimes is almost not necessarily a good thing, especially in the pitching side of things, just going there calm, confident, relaxed, and just do your thing. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's, that's great advice. And, um, you know, I think I'd just piggyback off that, you know, if you kind of heard what Ryan said too, it's like the time, time management, I think is, is one of the biggest differences that we see with kids going that's like mm-hmm. yeah you got to show up you got to perform you got to do all that stuff but if you can't manage your time you're not going to be able to do those things something's going to yeah. suffer either your time in the weight room your time in the field your classroom grades like all that stuff so yeah. you know sometimes senior year schedules are are nice and cushy which is great yeah but, um, yeah absolutely you have a you have a wake-up call coming once you go to school and, and you got two hours of practice every day and a lift and uh you mm-hmm. know going to class. Yeah. And eventually you get used to that stuff, but like the first few months there, you're like, wow, like you just feel like you're, you're running around constantly, but, but it's all, it's all good stuff. So yeah. it's a good time. The, the freshman like glaze over, over the face. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. sure you can see it in, in uh, hindsight this year. Now that you're not a freshman and you can see yeah. all the, all the rookies just like walking around with no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> first few weeks are pretty fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's talk injuries a little bit. As you mentioned, you kind of fought the injury, um, bug throughout your high school career with honestly, just like weird stuff, little league elbow. Then right after, I think the first weekend after your first game, uh, broken back at a trampoline birthday party. Um, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> then yeah, the hip avulsion running sixties. And then ultimately, uh, what I want to dive into a little bit more today, uh, being Tommy John, um, I'd love to hear like a little bit about what, like how you actually, uh, like what you were doing when, when you blew out, was it gradual over time? Was there one pitch that you threw, but kind of what was that story like? Yeah. So it was December 5th of my senior year of high school. Um, I was in a training session and I was, we were doing pull downs that day and my arm had literally never felt as good as it did that day before I was PR and on everything. Um, and we were throwing different weighted balls and we got to one of the lighter ones and I pulled down. And I felt a pop. You could hear it. You could feel it. Um, didn't really necessarily hurt at the time, to be honest. It was kind of that next throw. It was like, hmm, like this just doesn't really feel right. Um, the velo was way down. And then that next day, you know, you wake up and it's just super sore. Like I couldn't even pick up my backpack at that day at school. And that's kind of when you realize that like something's pretty wrong here. Like you, you really screwed something up. <laughs> but uh, over the next few weeks after that, I... I think I did some PT before I actually got an MRI on it because they didn't even, the first doctor I saw, didn't even really think that I needed an MRI. Um, 
but then like, it just didn't get any better. Um, I didn't even try and throw just because the thought of it just was painful. <laughs> um, but I ultimately ended up getting an MRI and it showed that it was completely, completely torn in half, which was great news. Absolutely not. But, uh, but yeah, so then I went ahead and got the surgery that February and the rest is history. Yeah, for sure. Ben, Ben Heller remains undefeated that, uh, everyone throws their hardest right before they blow out. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Every, every time I get a text from someone that's like, just hit a new PR or new this, I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's no pitch for my, another two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Like huh. I was like, my arm had never felt that good. I think I was pulling down like 95 or 96, which was like really good number for me at the time. Yeah. And then it just all went downhill after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good story. I mean, there's, as people that have followed any of our stuff on Tommy John know, there's kind of two different ways. And, and what we see in younger players is more what you are describing, where there's more of that one throw, something happens, elbow pops, um, big blowout versus some of the older players later in college um, into pros. Sometimes there's not that one episode, just like gradually over time, your elbow starts hurting more and more until eventually we just figure out that your ligament May or may not be there, but it's definitely not working the way it's supposed yeah. to anymore. Um, but your story is unfortunately like a little bit more common in younger players. And sometimes there's just no, there's no warning. There's no precursors, just like everything's great. And then bang, it's not great anymore. So what, uh, from after you had surgery there in February, what, um, kind of recollections or, or things do you have of going through that Tommy John rehab process? Anything that really stood out to you as particularly uh, surprising or, or, uh, difficult or challenging, anything like that? Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of challenges along the way. Um, I would say like right when you first get out of, out of surgery and you start doing your PT in the coming weeks, like you just realize like how mentally like challenging it's going to be just because, you know, just looking at your elbow, you're like, wow, like there's just no way that that's going to work again. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's a pretty gruesome, gruesome look on your arm there, but, uh, um, the first few weeks of PT are pretty tough just because your arm is, is pretty weak after that. Um, and it's just, as like, you, you still kind of have that, that feeling in you, like you don't want to screw it up somehow or anything like that. Um, but once you kind of get past that initial phase of just really strengthening, strengthening that up again, and you get into the throwing, like that's kind of when the mental barriers start to really get to you, especially when you start to ramp up throwing. I dealed with the yips for like three months, probably. Um, when I started to kind of put something behind the ball and I ended up actually seeing the sports psychologist up here at St. Cloud state. And that, that really benefited me in that sense. But before that, like, it was really bad. Like, cause first of all, I, I, uh, was starting to ramp up as soon as I got to school here. So I'm around, you know, a whole new team. They don't know that I even really had TJ, you know, we don't really know each other that well. And I'm at practice trying to do my rehab and the ball is just going everywhere. Like it was, it was a pretty rough first few months here at school just because of that. Um, but I ended up going to see the sports psych and he talked me through it. Um, there's a ton of great, great resources out there. And I think the sports psychologists are, are one of them. Um, I think that was probably the most beneficial thing that I had throughout my, my journey. Um, just kind of helping me get back to where I am. But, but yeah, I would say that the yips and those, like the mental barrier behind that was probably, probably the toughest challenge of it all, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. And we've seen, we've seen big leaguers like spike a ball on their first, their first throw from 45 feet and, and barely yeah. get it 10 feet off their, off their front foot. Um, cause there's just so much fear and anxiety and, and things don't feel the same as you used to. And you're equal parts excited and terrified of not yeah. wanting to go through it again. Um, that's why we talk so much about the team. It's like, 
yeah, for certain people, it's just no issue. Everything's really smooth and great and and all that. And for other people, it's a, it's a big issue. Sometimes it's physical. Like there's actually just something that still isn't quite a hundred percent yet. Sometimes it is, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, your, your body's not dumb. Like survival instincts are very strong and your brain's yeah. very powerful to be like, no, I, that last time we threw a baseball, it didn't go well. I don't, I'm not really in a big area yeah. to do that again. Um, yeah. so I'm glad you found that resource. Might have to do a whole separate podcast on kind of what that process was. Cause I wish, I wish more athletes would be willing to ask for help yeah. and, and seek out those resources. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I first did it, you know, I was kind of skeptical about it because, you know, there's all the, all those thoughts you have before going to see, you know, a psychologist. Um, but at the end of the day, like I tell all my friends about it now that anybody that's going through anything in sports, you know, it could be confidence. It could be an injury. It could be, you know, literally anything like talking to someone like that was probably one of the most impactful things throughout my entire rehab process, aside from obviously the PT and whatnot. Um, and even after the yips were gone, um, I still talked to him confidence wise and literally just anything about baseball that like, he's going to help you improve that. And I went into that summer or last summer now, and I, I never felt more confident in my pitching ability and just my game overall. And I think a lot of that was due to talking to the sports like, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think that's, uh, I think that's really, really good advice. Um, outside of working with a sports psychologist, any, any other advice, guidance, recommendations, personal, uh, personal little tips or tidbits that you could give someone that's, that's either currently going through a Tommy John or about to mm-hmm. approach a Tommy John rehab process. Just stick to the PT. You know, you just got to do it. The doing needs done is what I always tell myself. Like, you just got to do the PT as boring as it may be. Sometimes like after however many months PT, you're like, dude, like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, but you just got to keep hammering away at it and just see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, from, from day one, when I had PT, like those doubts were in my mind too. Like, there's just like, you just don't know if you're going to get back to that level, but if you just trust the process and I know it sounds cliche, but like, you just got to trust it. You just got to go through it and ultimately believe that you're going to end up back where you were it's not even higher, higher up. So that's kind of what my whole thought process was behind it. Like if you just keep doing it, like it's, it's all going to work out and you'll end up doing what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, we talk about it with everyone. Like I can write the best Tommy John rehab program in the entire world. I could sell it on the internet, but if it doesn't actually get done the way that we're asking you to do it, the frequency, the intent behind the exercises, the effort level behind it, then it's not going to work. Like the program yeah, exactly. isn't the magic, the, uh, you know, it's the work ethic and the follow through of the player that, that needs to, needs to match, match that program and, and following it. And sometimes it's following it and like taking a day off when you're told to take a day off. Sometimes it's following it and, you know, doing the things that we're asking you to do that are not mm-hmm. fun and painful and challenging. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Walk me through, because I want to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about your business, but you actually started your business during your Tommy John rehab effectively, or really kind of, it started to take off during that time frame, right? Yeah. So uh, before I had TJ, I was always super interested in graphic design, photography, videography, anything creative media wise. Um, and I was taking a few classes on that throughout high school. Um, and I kind of had a little business going before I was making a lot of like commitment edits for local high school athletes. Um, there's, I'm sure you've even worked with tons of kids that I've ended up making their graphics for. Yep. It's kind of, it kind of was a, a big thing there for a while, um, in our area, but 
Yeah. When I had TJ, I, I told myself that I wasn't going to sit around and be a turd during the, during the entire rehab process. And I'd have to find something to keep me busy because when baseball was taken away from me at the time, it was like the only thing that I really knew and loved doing. And it's like, you know, when that's taken away, you got, you got to find something to fill your time. And that's when I really dove into the photography and videography space. Um, so I kind of dropped a little money, invested in myself a little bit, bought a camera. Um, and I started just going out to as many high school games as I could, whether it was for free or getting paid, you know, just a little bit just to get my name out there. And I started posting Instagram, you know, quite frequently. And that summer, then it just kind of started to slowly take off for me. I was at the rock all the time. I was in Boston, you know, just photographing a bunch of local high school kids. Um, and just really trying to understand the hustle behind uh, running a business, even at a small scale like I was doing. Um, and that kind of led me into what I'm doing now, which I'm actually traveling the country for a uh, high school showcase company, uh, Best in U.S. Showcases. So we travel, travel the nation, uh, basically running high school showcases at Power 5 schools. Um, so I'm able to you know, meet tons of new people, travel the country and do something that I love simultaneously. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. And kind of looking back on it, um, you know, you kind of realize that maybe TJ wasn't the worst thing to happen to you because something great came out of it and that I'm really proud of. So, yeah, no. And I, I think that you kind of accidentally or on purpose stumbled upon, like, I think finding another hobby during a long rehab process. I mean, it's one thing if you're going to be out of baseball for six weeks, like that, you know, people can get through that and don't need to pick up something new, but when you're going to be out of baseball for 12 to 18 months, um, you need something you need another place to focus your attention. Otherwise you'll just go crazy. And, uh, I mean, we've had one player that really picked up fishing, uh, a lot. We had another one that, you know, he's just had a kid at the same time that he's going through TJ. So like being a dad is his kind of new, yeah. new hobby, but it's like, if you don't fill that void with something productive that gives you joy and gives you like a sense of purpose, um, yeah. I just think the rehab process will just eat you alive. And, uh, so I um, was very happy that you found something that's ended up kind of turning into, into a career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, like you said, you just got to find something to fill that void and you just, you know, you never know, like, especially if you're in high school or college, even it might just be, be that thing that you realize that you want to do for a really long time, even beyond your rehab. And that's kind of what, what, it, what it's done for me. Um, I'm actually a business major here at St. Cloud State. Um, that that's kind of what led me into that was because I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to want to do my own thing, work for myself. Someday is the ultimate goal, and uh, and that that TJ rehab gave me the opportunity to kind of explore those options. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I mean, I remember even when you were eighth grader. I mean, you were uh, taking drones out and filming yeah. like a <laughs> pond in your backyard that you were filming different stuff. You brought a you brought a drone into BRX one day and took like overhead video of some of the pro guys throwing their. Uh, on their bullpen to to be able to get different angles of their uh yeah their mechanics and stuff like that so it's kind of always been it's it was cool for me to see you kind of develop from yeah just being something fun into something that is you know really turning into a, a good business for you yeah absolutely and uh, uh, i've, I've kind of take oh sorry go ahead you go for it yeah no, i was uh i was just gonna ask like what it's like to balance your college baseball player running your own business, traveling the country and yep. majoring in business at school. So kind of back coming full circle to, uh, the hardest thing about adjusting to college is like that time management aspect. What, uh, what have you learned from trying to balance those three things right now? 
Um, I'd say I've learned that to-do lists are very helpful. That's step number one. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of late nights that go into it, um, especially with the school baseball and business aspect. Like, And I'm, I'm very passionate about all of those, really. Um, so it's really just understanding where you want to go. And my goal is to be able to run my own business someday, play college baseball, um, and hopefully get my degree someday. And that is, that's kind of what drives it. Like I always tell myself, I said it earlier, like the doing needs to be done. So, you know, if I have X, Y, Z, I need to do for school, I'm going to hammer that all out one night. Um, the next day, maybe I'm focusing strictly on my business and trying to, trying to grow things internally there. And then obviously during the day, I, I spend most of my time either in class or, um, at baseball practice. Uh, this semester is a little easier just because I'm all online for school. So that gives me a lot of flexibility when it comes to doing my, my assignments. And usually I can hammer all that out in one day. Um, but yeah, I'm usually up pretty late working on stuff for my business. I'm, I recently just launched a new branch where I'm, I'm running Facebook ads and whatnot for local businesses, uh, just trying to explore different, different areas within, in the field. Um, but yeah, like you going back to the time management part, like you just got to understand what you need to do. And in my opinion, you just got to write it down. You just got to go one by one down the list and hammer away at it until it's done. So, yeah, I think that makes, I think that makes sense. And I think my, my personal perspective on it, um, not juggling quite as many things as you are, but running a business, trying to be a dad and a husband and then still have a life outside of those things too, is, uh, everyone talks about work-life balance and like, honestly, I, I don't think it exists. Um, I don't really think there's a thing as perfect balance that way. I don't know if you feel this, but there's like ebbs and flows. There's like times that I work way too much and get way out of balance towards towards work. And it just tracks from the other things. Cause there's only there's only 24 hours in a day and you need to sleep for if you're gonna take care of yourself, you need to sleep for at least hopefully eight of those. You're probably not doing that right now. But um, you know, in a perfect world, you're sitting for eight of those to take care of yourself. Um and then you've got to take something from somewhere else. And so rather than always trying to have it be split evenly, I'm a big proponent of like work really hard on one thing, get that done. Now spend more time doing something else and tending to that part of your life. And it's always this like give and take less of like, oh, I'm going to perfectly split up my day amongst those 24 yeah. hours with six towards each thing that I care about. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. And, you know, in my boat, now that we're traveling and uh, in season here, it's like when I'm in St. Cloud, you know, at home, like you probably won't see much of me just simply because I'm, I'm out either trying to work on something for my business, you know, doing my homework to catch up before we leave um, or, you know, at, at Lyft or whatever that is. But then that kind of saves the time for on the road to, you know, be a little bit more relaxed, you know, you know, build that team, team culture up with my buddies, you know, hang out with them and whatnot. Um, and really just allows me to focus on what I need to be focused on at the time. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Well, really good to catch up. I think there's some great insights in this for, for other players, students, people that are injured, people that are going to college or maybe, maybe a high school kid that's a little bit entrepreneurial and, and sees what you're doing online and, and wants to take a run at something like that. So if people want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing, whether it be baseball wise, business wise, anything like that, where can they, where can they go to learn more about you? Yeah. So I post pretty much everything on my Instagram page, which is Ryan rail media. Um, I'm sure you can probably look that up. It'll, it'll pop up or there can be a link somewhere for that. Yeah, I'll put it in. The um, yeah, sweet. 
Yep. So I post pretty much everything on, on my Instagram account. Um, I post, you know, business advice on there for people that are doing what I'm doing. I post all of the work that I'm creating. Um, and then even sometimes it's just a little personal life stuff mixed into there. Um, so that's kind of my life on an Instagram page. <laughs> I'd say that's kind of, kind of the main, main way people can find me. Perfect. Well, we will uh, make sure we get that in the uh, show notes. Thank you very much for your time. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a baseball player that's getting ready for your season right now? Do you want to learn what it takes to keep your arm healthy and perform at a high level all season long? Let's face it. Injuries and arm injuries in particular are only expanding in baseball right now. If you get hurt, it is going to impact your development your ability to compete and help your team, as well as just the fun of playing the sports you love with your teammates and friends. We have a free online mini course that goes through exactly what you need to do to prepare your arm and to keep your arm healthy all season long. You can find this course and sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at kinetic underscore SMP or in the show notes to this podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Hit that link, sign up to get access to the course today.